You see, to really know Christ is to be transformed by what we know of Christ. And it's not all the pages of the scripture. Yes, you need to memorize scripture. You need to read your Bible. You need to spend time in prayer. But to really know Christ is to be transformed by what one knows of Christ. Jim and Della, in the story that we read earlier, the one thing she knew about her husband is how much she loved him. The one thing that he knew about his wife is how much he loved her. And there was nothing that they wouldn't do as the story unfolded before us. Each one of them in their own certain way was looking for a way. How do I make him understand? How do I make her understand how much the other means to me? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. One dollar and eighty seven cents. That was all. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Three times Della counted it. One dollar and 87 cents. And the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and cry. So that's what Della did. This instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. Della finished her cry and stood by the window, looking out drearily at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. An $8 finished flat wasn't much to look at, but it was home. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only a dollar and 87 cents with her to buy Jim a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months with this result. Twenty dollars a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only a dollar and eighty-seven cents to buy a present for Jim, her Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent planning something nice for him, something fine and rare and sterling, something just a little bit nearer to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. Suddenly, Della whirled from the window and stood before the looking glass. Her eyes were shining brightly, but her face had lost all the color within 20 seconds. 
Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now, there were two possessions of the James Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out the window to dry just to despite her majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed just to see Solomon pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment to her. And then she did it up again, nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood there still with a tear or two that splashed onto the old worn carpet. On went her old brown jacket. On went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. She stopped where the sign read, Mr. Stefani's hair goods for all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself panting. Will you buy my hair? I buy hair. Take your hat off and let's have a sighted look at it. Down rippled the brown cascade of Della's hair. Twenty dollars. Give it to me quick. Oh, the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Della was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It had surely been made for Jim and no one else. There was none like it in any of the other stores, and she had turned them all inside out. It was a flat, platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, worthy of the watch. And as soon as she saw it, she knew it must be Jim's. It was like him, quietness and value. The description applied to both. $21 they took from her for it, and she hurried home with 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of the old leather strap that he used to keep it in place. When Della reached home, her excitement gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Within 40 minutes, her her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At 7 o'clock, the coffee was made, and the frying pan was on the back stove, hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled up the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. And she heard his step on the stair away down on the first flight, and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying silent little prayers about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, 
Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only 22 and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat and he was without gloves. Jim stopped just inside the door as immovable as a sitter at the scent of a quail. His eyes were fixed on Della. And there was an expression on them she could not read and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, or horror. No, it, all in the sentiments she was prepared for. He simply stared at her fixedly with a peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went to him. Jim, darling, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold it, because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you, Jim? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice present I've got for you. You've cut off your hair? Cut it off and sold it. Don't you like me just as well anyhow? I'm me without my hair, aren't I? Jim looked around the room curiously. You say your hair's gone? You needn't look for it. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. It's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head are numbered, but nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded Della in his arms. Eight dollars a week for a flat or a million dollars a year. What's the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it on the table. Don't make any mistake about me, Dell. I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that would make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap the package on the table, you may see why you had me going first. Nimble fingers tore at the string and paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, and then, alas, a quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the flat. For there lay the combs, the set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in the Broadway store window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell, with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in her beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs. She knew, and her heart was simply craving and yearned for these over time with the, without the uh, hope of even possessing such a thing. And now they were hers. But the tresses that should have adorned the coveted adornments were gone. But she hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a singed cat and cried, Oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. 
She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch, leaned back, and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, let's put our presents away and keep them for a while. They're too nice to use just now. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the babe at the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here... I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in an $8 flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Oh, of all who give and receive gifts such as these... They are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. Over the next few weeks, we're going to do what I'm calling the readings of Christmas. You know, something about this story resonates and that first Christmas day. And what I want to do today is I want to present to you Christmas. I want to present to you a look at this time as only can be seen through the eyes of God. Because today I only got one thing to present, and that is God's love and the gift of that love. With you. Romans chapter 5, the scriptures record these words. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Now I want you to grab a hold of that thought for a moment. This young couple, Jim and Dell, I think through the depths of the love they portrayed, so much so that they were willing to sacrifice their all for something. To present to the other in a way that would make them realize how much they are worth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus sacrificed everything for the person sitting in your chair. I don't know about you, but I have days that I think my worth is very little. People say, well, as a pastor, man, you've got to be surrounded with all kinds of adulation and all kinds of recognition and all kinds of... Nothing. More times than not. Oh, not in a bad thing, but that's just the way of this world. We just kind of go through what we go through to get to where we're going to. 
But all the time I'm taken back to 1 John 4, over and over and over. He loved us first. That's why I am what I am. That's why I do what I do. That's where I, why I'm going where I'm going. Because he loved me first. I listened to the story of Dell and Jim, and, and, and I, I listened to the, the paradox that seems to be presented, how she has this treasure in, the, gold, in the, the wonderful brown locks of hair. He has this treasure in a wrist, in a, <coughs> in a pocket watch. And over and over and over, they look at the great value. They look at the great treasure. They look at the great thing that they possess. But I want to talk to you tonight, this morning, about the greatness of his love. You see, the greatness of his love, it's a love that's commensurate to the giving all for the sake of a few. Paul said these words in 2 Corinthians, I become all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Look at me just for a moment. No matter what you do as a Christian, your life may not affect as much as you hope it to. Yet that's not in your hands. God taught me something as a young pastor. I, I used to be tormented when people would come to church and then I wouldn't see them again. They would come to church and then I wouldn't see them. And then they stopped coming altogether. And I would call them. I would follow up on them. I'd, I'd trace them down. I'd chase them down. And then God had to teach me, son, you're responsible to them. You're not responsible for them. Because, see, ultimately, a gift is only a gift if it's accepted. He gave his all. We'll talk about Jim and Della throughout this morning, but he gave all for the sake of you, the giving of something and the return of what would be in its natural state valued as nothing. What is hair worth? It just grows on our head. We get it cut over and over. But there's lots of people that have no hair. To them, it is immeasurable in worth. And though Della didn't grow her hair for the purpose of selling it, when it came to the place of offering a gift, of giving of herself, what did I have? A dollar and 87 cents. What did that matter? But she had her most prized possession. What would we give? What do we think gain? What do we deem priceless other than ourself? I'm reminded of that so many times when I read Ephesians 5 and I'm doing weddings. Where it says, wives submit to your husband. Oh man, we love that guys, don't we? Woman, submit. I can see some of you guys. Are you listening, baby? But we forget the verse right before that. That says, submit yourselves one another to the Lord. And then we forget the four verses directly following that. Where it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, the truth is, he died for the church. Well, Pastor, what are you trying to say? Sir, if you'll die for her, 
she'll live for you. Is that not the picture of love? That he first loved is why we can love. Am I making any sense today? I, I, I remember a story that I shared with the church a couple years ago when I was doing a, a sermon on Christmas or Thanksgiving or, or some, it might have been Easter, but it was a story, a true story about a king. Actually, a prince and his family. They were captured by an enemy king. And when they brought before the king, the prisoner was asked a very simple question. What will you give me if I release you? And the prince told him, said, sir, half of all my wealth I will re- release to you. What if I release your children? The king said. The prince responded, everything I possess, sir, will be yours. What if I release your wife? Listen to the prince's response. Your majesty, for her... I would give myself. The king was so moved by the prince's devotion that he released the entire family and let them all free. As he returned home, the prince said to his wife, wasn't the king a handsome man? And with a deep love for her husband, she turned to him and said, I didn't even notice I could only keep my eyes on the one who is willing to give himself for me. Can I tell you that so many things in the world are drawing for our attention? O. Henry wrote the Magi, or the gift of the Magi. And it's a very familiar poem that's been out there. More of a prose that's been out there for for. I just don't know how how much time. But the story is remarkable in the fact that all of us get distracted by so many things for the sake of value, for the sake of worth. But can I ask you something? How could we but keep our eyes on the one who gave his all for us? How is it that we can be distracted or set aside You see, in his eyes, there was nothing of more worth than you and me, and for no other reason but love. But I don't know about you, me. There's times that I sit back and I think, God, how can I get closer to you? How many have ever had that thought in their mind and say, I don't know enough about you. I, 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 I don't know enough about the things that the Bible says about you. How many besides me are like that? How can I call myself close to God when I don't even know all this stuff? A man was talking to his friends at work about his conversion. And all of a sudden, a atheist man who knew the Bible, did you know atheists know the Bible pretty well? Many of them, not all of them. He came up to the man and said, so you're a new convert to Christ, are you? And the man said, yes, yes, I am. And the atheist said, well, then you must know a great deal about him. Tell me, what country was he born in? And the new convert said, I, well, I, I, I don't know. Well, what age did he die at? And the man said, I, I, I don't know. How many sermons did he preach? To which the man responded again, I, I don't know. And the atheist thought he had him over a barrel. He said, you sure don't seem to know much about someone 
who you are converting your life to or giving your life to, surrendering your life to. The young man had his head bowed in shame. And he said, you're right. But this much I do know. Three years ago, I was a drunk. My family was falling to pieces. My wife and children, they would dread my return home. But now I have given up the drink. We're out of debt. Ours is now a happy home. And my children eagerly await me to return home each evening. All this Christ has done. This much I do know. Come on, give him praise, church. Long before I knew much about the Bible, I have people who say, Pastor, man, you just, you just know so... No, I, I know so little. But this one thing I do know, he did it all. Everything that I have, everything that I hope to have, Everything I've come from is because of what he's done. That's why the Bible says very plainly, as Paul outlines it in in Colossians 1.27, it is Christ in me. That's the hope that I have. It's the hope of glory. You see, to really know Christ is to be transformed by what we know of Christ. And it's not all the pages of the scripture. Yes, you need to memorize scripture. You need to read your Bible. You need to spend time in prayer. But to really know Christ is to be transformed by what one knows of Christ. Jim and Della, in the story that we read earlier, the one thing she knew about her husband is how much she loved him. The one thing that he knew about his wife is how much he loved her. And there was nothing that they wouldn't do as the story unfolded before us. Each one of them in their own certain way was looking for a way. How do I make him understand? How do I make her understand how much the other means to me? It is amazing what you know when simply you know that you were known. Jim and Della knew they didn't have much, but they knew their greatest possession was truly in the relationship they had with each other. Many years ago, one of the very last Nazi concentration camp survivors came to Boston University to be interviewed. There were journalists from all over the place because they wanted to come and hear from this man that experienced the horror of the Holocaust. They came, they spent time, they listened, and they left in great disgust. They said, think about this. All those months in that concentration camp, and all this man can do is talk about Jesus. You see, this was a man that understood the love, that understood the worth, that understood the value, that understood the gift that literally took him through all those months of horror and all those months of devastation. 
What else could he talk about but Jesus? I remember as a young man when I first gave my life to Christ, I would go to restaurants and I would go places and I would witness to people and I would share the gospel. And I would get excited. I remember there was a radio station guy that I had befriended because he would always play my records on the radio and, and he would do this kind of stuff. And, and I, I met with him after I gave my life to Christ and I was excited and I was sharing the gospel with him, hoping that he would get saved. And, and at, as time went on, he did get saved. But I was sitting in this restaurant one day and I was just sharing with him. I was talking to him about the glory of God, what God had done in my life. I didn't, I wasn't quoting scriptures. I wasn't sharing, but I was sharing the one thing I did know. This is what Christ has done in me. And my life, my life was just radiant at that table. My smile must have been beaming across the room because this, this restaurant all the way across the other side, a woman and her daughter came walking by. They had to go purposefully out of their way to come up to my table. And they walked up and said, What is it about you? Your smile radiates in this entire building. And all I could do was tell her, Jesus. I didn't know what else to say. There's times that you're just sitting around and and you're just dwelling upon what God has done. I can promise the light is radiating from you. Your countenance is shining. The brightness of a glorious star like possibly that star of heaven that shone that day upon a manger where wise men followed. Not a day, a week, a month. But as the scripture unfolds, it was years of following that star. Because they knew the Messiah was promised. How great is his love wrapped and the greatness of his gift. There was a little boy who was given his prized possession. His deceased grandfather's gold pocket watch. He treasured it. He would take it everywhere with him. And like Jim, he would take it out and look at it and look it back and take it out and look at it. And he would just take it everywhere with him. One day he was playing in his father's ice plant and it got lost amidst the ice and the sawdust. He frantically searched and scratched and clawed, looking everywhere, becoming frantic, but he could not find the watch. And then he knew, I got to do one thing. I just got to stop and listen. And as he did, he could hear the watch start ticking. It was always ticking. But in the hustle bustle of all he was doing, he couldn't hear it. Look at me, please. There was a gift that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago. And that gift is just as radiant today, just as wonderful today. It illuminates just as much today. But could it be that in all the hustle and bustle of our lives, we don't see it as brightly anymore? You think it might be time that we stop a little bit? Especially this time of the year. A pastor, this time of the year is busier than any time of the year. That's okay. God can take care of your busyness and get you back to his business. God has given each of us a priceless gift. It's the joy. When I start looking down, God reminds me, just lift your eyes up and your joy will come back. How easy it is to lose that joy, though, in the scurrying of life. 
Remember Della? A dollar and 87 cents. So frantic, she spent a day weeping on her couch. Weeping and crying and sobbing. Until all of a sudden it came to her. I have something. I can imagine, though it might have been all the way across town, Jim had the same perplexity. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And they both came to that revelation. I have something. Can I tell you something? When you are that place, what am I going to do? do? Stop. You have something. His name's Jesus. He said, I'll make a way where there seems to be none. Jesus said, if I be lifted up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up. Not of things. Not of stuff. There's a condition that people get that causes them to think they'll be happy if they just buy something. The stores love us this time of year. Oh, if I could just buy something. My wife and I were out doing some grocery shopping last night, and all of a sudden she said, let's start getting things for the kids and the grandkids. We're sitting at Safeway. But it hits us at all kinds of times. Does it hit anybody like anybody else? Does it hit you like that, Dan? Does it? Yeah, that's what I thought. It hits us. We're, we're geared that way. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? We're geared to give. God created giving in us. When we don't give, it's not natural. Well, Pastor, I, I can't. I, I just can't afford this year. Has never been anything about affording. It always been about doing. So we started buying little things for our kids. Not much. Grandkids, just a little. Value wasn't the issue as far as as far as dollar amount. Value was an issue as far as heart amount. Jesus said, "If I be lifted up, not things." He said, if I be lifted up, it is, it is not what we have that draws others, but rather what we are that causes us to make a difference in other people's life. You see, what we are is the greatness of God's love. What we are is the greatness of God's gift, which ultimately is the greatness of God's grace released in our lives. As I begin to wrap this up this morning, I'm taken back to a place called the upper room. Jesus is there with his 12 disciples, knowing very well that it was the same night he was going to be betrayed. That one of the 12, one that he had spent the last three and a half years with, was going to rise up against him. And a lot of people sit back and say, well, he knew exactly who it was. I'm not sure he did. Because the Bible says there's lots of things that the angels don't know, The son doesn't know, only the father in heaven knows. And it could very well be when he made the statement, the one that dips the sop with me, he is the one that will betray. It could have been John. It could have been Peter. It could have been James. It could have been Thaddeus or Matthias. But by choice of his own, it was a man named Judas. 
Not realizing it was God's grace, not realizing it was God's promise, it was God's hope that brought everything together and that God's picture was much more bigger than the here and now. He was building a life that was for then and there. In your life and mine, it's grace that is wrapped in a gift that is presented with love. In the same night that he was betrayed, the Bible says, he broke bread with them and he offered him the cup representing the blood of the new covenant that he would give. And it was all concluded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Della so loved Jim that she gave. Jim so loved Della that he gave. Oh, it didn't matter that it was their very all. Today, I wonder, are we like the wise men? Wise? Not looking at things, but looking at Christ. Not looking at what was, but looking at what is. And saying, God, you're still here. Can you do with what I have to give what I don't? The wise men came, said they offered gold. Well, the gold was the picture of the king or the kingdom. But it's also through the scriptures representative of salvation, redemption. No more greater thing, no more precious thing on this earth than gold. No more precious thing than the life that God has given through his son, Jesus Christ. The king offered gold. The second one offered frankincense. Frankincense was representative of holiness or the priesthood or godliness. You see, God gave us the gift of redemption, and then he said, I'm going to give you also the gift of the ability to live a holy life, a righteous life, a godly life, a priestly life. The Bible tells us very plainly, we are kings and priests in him. Because of the gift he gave. But the last gift, scholars, until they begin to understand the picture, I can imagine even the wise men that offered it didn't fully understand. Why am I bringing myrrh? Myrrh was basically the representation of the embalming fluid for death. Myrrh was representation of affliction and sacrifice. And in the big picture, the love that was given in a gift presented by His grace God says, yes, I'm going to make you a part of this kingdom through my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to make him to become sin for you. You see, the myrrh is the offering that I'm placing upon him because he's going to be afflicted. He's going to sacrifice. He's going to be wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace is going to be upon him. And by his stripes, I'm going to be healed. Why? Because myrrh was offered there at that first Silent night, that first Christmas day, the trials, the afflictions, the sacrifice that he would have for supper. Why do we think it any less that we also would have to? 
Why do we come today? Why do we? It's a solemn question, isn't it? I remember when I was a young man, I was raised Catholic. And I always went to church just because that's what you're supposed to do. When I gave my life to Jesus and I started believing in him and not the church, I realized it's a whole lot more than just going to church. It's being the church. And I've heard people argue with me over the years, well, bless God, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I say, you're right. But sadly, if you don't go to church, you won't stay a Christian. Because you have to realize, as I, we become products of our association. Even John Baptist, when he was in prison, ready to lose his head for the testimony of the gospel, even he began to ask, are you the one? You see, if we're never around the fellowship of believers, the assembly of the believers, how do we get anything but junk in only to get junk out? You got to get Christ in. Do we come to worship and give or to be entertained and receive? What motivates your Christian experience? The only way to truly find the wisdom that I speak of is by bowing our life to Jesus and worshiping him by giving the gift of our life. You see, Jim and Della, what they ultimately did was they gave the gift of their life. They knew it could be replaced, but not without great sacrifice. Let's all be wise this Christmas. And listen. Let's all be wise and turn our hearts towards Christ. Let's all this Christmas stop and no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, find his plan, purpose, and the pursuit of our life. Jesus is coming back as the worship team comes. He's coming back. And I ask you very simply, are you ready? Are you ready? As Jim and Della sat down to eat pork chops and drink coffee, the statement was made by Jim that was profound and fulfilling in all. He said, let's put these gifts away for now. Let's put them away for another time. And let's look at the true gift we have, each other. The true gift we have, the love of this relationship. Today, Christmas is a season of giving. But the original gift was first given. And all God did is created in us. As the Magi represented, as Christmas personifies, that we become givers. Can I hear you say amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. 
Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.